On a recent trip to Lincolnshire, I found myself at uh, Wickenby Airfield, home to Thruster Microlites and Fly365 Flying School. For episode 41 of Flying Podcast, the man I'm here to talk to is Malcolm Howland, who heads up the Flying School and also works for Thruster. It's one of those superb spring days when the sun is out and there's not a cloud in the sky. There's a pleasant cooling breeze and probably unlimited visibility, but sadly... I'm not here to fly, but uh, just as happy to uh, talk to Malcolm about the history and the future of thruster microlites and, of course, his flying school here at Wickenby. So let's have a listen. The first thing I asked Malcolm was about the history of thruster. Well, the, the, the thruster is, you know, is, a, is a machine that we use uh, as our main three-axis microlite uh, machine. Uh, we're very lucky that they're, they're built here at Wickenby, and they have a... Uh, a, you know, quite a long and illustrious uh, uh, history. They started off in the two-stroke days, you know, little two-strokes sat on the side as a very, very basic, but still, you could still say it was a thruster. It was called a Gemini, and it was built in Australia, and the company was Thruster Australia. They built them from a, you know, sort of mid-80s towards the uh, 89 sort of era, and a chap down at Camelford had been on holiday to Australia, saw one, liked it, talked to them, and got a license to build them in the UK, uh, Camelford in uh, Cornwall. Didn't they use them for uh, rounding sheep up in Australia? <laughs> the the Australians use any aeroplane to to get a, <laughs> to get across a uh, a paddock that uh, you know could be sort of you know twenty thirty miles from one fence to the other. So it, it is a very very useful machine and, and quick. Um, use it in other places as well for for uh, sort of spotting type type mm-hmm. jobs and, and uh, you know how how uh, how good the visibility is allows you to to do that especially sort of if you're reasonably slow. Um, but it was called a Gemini, and it then came over to the UK, and there was about ten Gemini's built under license uh, in the UK. Then the TST came out, which was a, a much better wing. Uh, Rotax had started to come into the marketplace with their early two strokes and it was a much better aeroplane and the Thruster TST. Eventually um, Thruster Australia started to have problems and Thruster Australia had problems and Thruster UK carried on. Eventually Thruster Australia did disappear completely and the the tooling was, was purchased and sent from Australia and it all started to, to be built up, up in uh, Camelford originally uh, a good friend of Gordon Pills from a flying point of view Gordon used to have a, uh, a thruster eventually sort of got involved a little bit more with the factory uh, until they got to the point where they, they were ready to, to move it on and uh, Gordon said well, well I'll buy it I'll, I'll bring it up to, to Wantage near Oxfordshire in Oxfordshire and, and start building them uh, from there. Um, but the name changed to Tempest Aviation. Uh, and Tempest ran for, I think, nearly 10 years. Um, and they built the, the, the TST and then got um, uh, an aeronautical design engineer in who looked at the aerofoil on the old TSTs. Um, it's a, the, the thruster is a, a very draggy machine anyway it is exactly what you know a microlite should be it's a it's a it's a microlite it's not a, a ga 
mm-hmm. aircraft in, in, in microflight clothes. Yeah. Um, but he, he improved the, the aerofoil section of the wing, put more battens in it, made it a little bit heavier, uh, and, and just improved it all around. Um, still a tail dragger, still open, so in the winter you had to be fairly hardy to, to fly a, a, a TST or a T300. Um, and, and that ran right up until you know, sort of let, you know, early 90s. Um, and then we could see that, that the pattern was starting to form that people wanted nose wheels. Um, I literally went into Thruster down in Wantage one morning and found a very, very sort of tired looking Gordon Pill at uh, about 8 o'clock in the morning, still hovering over some strange contraption you know with wheels and a, and a, and a nose wheel three three wheel thing and and sort of asking what on earth have you been doing and he just had a, an idea in his head that night and decided to to make a subframe um with a nose wheel we uh, we literally uh, that morning tied to uh, put the chairs in it so it started to actually have a you know, a look of a thruster base and um, we towed it behind a, a Land Rover up and down this uh, field that he has, all down to grass. And we, we pulled it at nearly 60 mile an hour, which probably wasn't <laughs> very wise, but it survived its first real test. Yeah. Gordon is uh, a brilliant engineer with his hands, um, but hated paperwork. So Gordon would build something and then test it to destruction. And then we'd do the, the proper drawing mm-hmm. and analysis. So it was, it was a little bit the wrong way around. It wasn't a boffin. It was it was came out of the of a flyer's brain. Yeah. Um, and that was the the very you know, early start of the the nose wheel thrusters, which became the T six hundred. T four hundred actually did exist in Australia. So we uh, we had to jump that one. T500 also um, was an enclosed, cloth enclosed uh, thruster in Australia. Still two or three of them flying. And, and the good thing with, with thruster is the Australians now build under licence to, <laughs> to us. Yeah. Um, Gordon set up a, a dealership or, or a, a licence with a, with a company in Australia. And they recently, as in, as in two or three days ago, rang... Uh, saying that they've, they've got a little bit more interested uh, and are looking to to start up again, and you know, could we could we send them prices and you know uh, uh, bits and bobs and availability of, of parts to start building them? Okay. Uh, what stage did you move up to Wickenby? I I was instructing down at uh, Graham Slater's uh, school before I got involved uh, heavily with Thruster and instructing there working for Plessy Semiconductors in, in Swindon as an engineer for them. Usual thing, semiconductors went through a huge round of uh, of, of problems and, and there was silicon factories closing all through the UK. And I'd already started to think this was something I wanted to get involved with, you know, to, to run my own school. And another set of redundancies came along at, uh, at Plessy and it was that sort of gave me the push to sort of let's save somebody's job who wants wants it and i'll i'll give it a go uh so for me i sort of found a school up here in lincolnshire uh which is home parents and and family still live up here um flew flew here 
on, on a holiday, you know, a trip around the UK really, mm -hmm. landed at Wickenby and, and again, sort of just another throwaway line led us to uh, um, uh, the owners of this airfield saying, oh, we've been looking for a microlight school. And that's, that's how I then jumped into Wickenby, you know, a, a, a light, light aircraft at a school here, but no microlight operation uh, and not one in, in Lincolnshire. So that was it, sold the house, bought two aeroplanes, I had a thruster and a flex wing. And uh, I must admit that after the first year, I went back down to Plessy and did ask for my old job back. <laughs> and, Can I come back to work? But they they were in another round of redundancy, so they said, we would have you, but we can't. Mm -hmm. And I came back that fairly well dejected on that, uh, that uh, weekend, literally to find two um, two people stood on a Monday morning both wanting to learn to fly and pay for 10 hours up front I just couldn't believe it it was uh, I'd start to believe in black magic now <laughs> so 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 I had a, a thruster here and a flex wing here and you know slowly uh, started training training uh, microlight pilots up here um, Steve Turley had a um, just a, a GA flyer at the time had a uh, big aeroplane in one of the hangars, a Saratoga, and just I did notice a you know, just a little bit of interest coming from him. You know, and eventually, I said, "Well, do you want to have a flying one?" Um, and he had a big strip over at his farm, about uh, six miles from here, and we went for a fly, touched down at his strip, you know, which was a little bit rough, but not nothing that a, um, a thruster can cope with, can't cope with. And came back, and he said, "I love this." Can I can I learn to fly one? What do I need to do to add it to my license? So explain that, and straight away he started to to do the conversion. Halfway through the conversion, suddenly realised that he needed one. So we uh, flew down to to Oxfordshire, where uh, where Thruster was based, met Gordon Pill, and uh, put an order in for an aeroplane. In fact, we actually put an order in together. Um, I bought a second one for the school, and uh, and Steve had one for himself. Um, that was the time when Thruster was very busy. You know, we were 13th and 14th on the list with uh, you know, 13 aircraft in front of us to be built. Mm -hmm. So that took nearly a year to, to get our aircraft. When we got it, Steve thoroughly enjoyed it. Used to disappear disappear off, land in all sorts of places, uh, you know, delivering, delivering bits to farms and taking farm friends uh, flying. Um, and I, in that interim period, had just gone back down to see Gordon Pill, uh, sort of socially, and he had, uh, had sort of just started to talk about retiring. You know, he was uh, getting ready to to let the the company go, and it, it started to tail off a little bit. And literally, as a throwaway line to Steve, I happened to mention that uh, Gordon was going to going to retire from from Thruster and you know, was going to get rid of it. And he said, "Should I buy it?" And I, if you want your aeroplane serviced, it would be nice to do it here, and and that was the that was the seed, and really before we knew it, um, you know, Gerald Cooper and uh, and, and myself and uh, Steve disappeared down to uh, uh, to Gordon and started the negotiations on on the complete um, purchasing purchasing of the of the company and the, the Trust Air Services name. Uh, we all believed that a a fully 
working uh, approved CAA company would just literally up, move, carry on. Mm -hmm. um, we, we soon found out that uh, the approvals are for the facility, not necessarily the company. So we had to you know, virtually start and prove that we had everything in place mm -hmm. to, to be you know, a manufacturing facility. And it doesn't matter whether you're building 737s or microlites. The, the, the documentation, the traceability of the parts to a, to a factory uh, manufactured aircraft is the same. So I've, I've been sucked back into Thruster as a, as a quality manager uh, and it took us about, uh, about 18 months to put everything in place to be able to say to the CAA, come down, audit us and see if we can be issued with the A1F1 uh, approval. Okay, when was that? You brought that up to Wickenby? That so the, the, the came to Wickenby in a nine came to Wickenby in 2006 and it was 2008 you know before we actually had um the approvals to to then build brand new uh thrusters mm -hmm. and from that point you know we we started uh, letting everyone know that, that that's what we can do. So thruster manufacture never ceased. It the, well, there was a gap. There was there was obviously a gap whilst whilst the approval was suspended because once the the facility in Ginge stopped, yeah. they suspended the the approval. Right. So we supported uh, the second year the second hand market uh, and aircraft that were already out there, but we were unable to start and build from scratch. That that was something that uh, you need the approvals for. Okay, um, which aircraft do you now manufacture here? We we would if if it was absolutely requested we would manufacture any of the thruster fleet with exception to the Gemini if somebody wanted a TST then we've got all the jigs and, mm -hmm. and could still build one um, the the predominant aeroplane now is the T six hundred Sprint which is mm -hmm. the enclosed and, and with a back fared in um, uh, it's it's still a microlite and it's about as good as we we, you know, we can get without redesigning uh, you, know, you know the aircraft hugely okay. uh, flies quite uh, quite sensibly at sort of 65 70 knots all day yeah um, and it's as tough as old boots you know most of the UK schools have thrusters I would say 70 to 80 percent uh, because they are so tough you know, Gordon was he would totally admit it if we, if we rang him up right now and we said, you know, why is it so tough? He he read a paragraph in the requirements and would just make the aeroplane pass it. Yep. With with a sort of an agricultural sort of spin on it, it would just pass, rather than um, sort of look at it and try and see how you know how you could maybe not bend the rules, but just. One of the rules uh, uh, typically is uh, the undercarriage loads. Uh, you have an ultimate load, um, you know, which was 1,800 kilos pulling down on a, or we turned an aeroplane upside down and pulled down on the undercarriage. The ultimate load only has to s be there for, for three seconds. And it's not allowed to, to, to break. It's allowed to deform a bit, but not break. Mm -hmm. um, well, we were using tractor rams so you know, we'd had this aeroplane turned upside down, made some cups over the wings, and we're pulling down with tractor ramps, which are not the most uh, finesse uh, for, for you know, setting up to the exact load. So we would go 20, 20 kilos over. And we actually found that because there's about 80-odd cases to 
to do the undercarriage testing that it you know rather than just pull down take it off three seconds photograph it we just left it on and then we would take the side loads off and move this uh, gantry around and then pull the side load on again and again occasionally it would go to you know because you're in a tractor and you're trying to sort of uh, you know, use the hydraulics there, it would go 20 kilos over and then you take a bit off and then you settle it down, take a photo. And we never took, over about an hour and a half, the, the, the main main downward load, we didn't take it off. Mm -hmm. And we didn't get any um, deformations of the, the undercarriage. It is too strong. <laughs> it's, okay. it, it's almost student-proof. <laughs> and and it's, it's why it is, it's the Cessna of the microlight world. Yep. You know, it, it's... It, it's a little bit ugly you know it grows on you um, but by sticking the engine up out of the way on a pole makes for brilliant visibility it also allows you to have very short coupled undercarriage which just in its own sense makes it stronger because you haven't got dangly legs just for those folks around the world that are not maybe not familiar with a thruster just give me a sort of a brief description of, uh, of its construction it's uh, commonly called a rag and tube aeroplane which means it's uh, uh, all all built around uh, an aluminium tubular structure uh, with the with the new sprints having uh, a, a chrome molly subframe. Um, the chrome molly subframe is, is is strength for the undercarriage, and that supports a, a big four-inch uh, aircraft quality uh, aluminium uh, drawn tube, and which we bolt the engine onto and the wings on onto that tube. So. Um, they're, they're all of a very similar uh, design, mm -hmm. all the microlights, uh, there's only yeah. tweaks in them, um, but having all aircraft quality parts, all A and nuts and bolts throughout the machine, and the, the materials for the wings, you know, people sometimes go up and, and say, oh, it's, it's got a cloth wing, you, know, you have to remind them that so did the Tiger Moth, and they're still around and flying today, yeah. uh, but the newer materials, Ultralam and Dacron and Trilam, are just so strong and so light that you know you almost wonder why every airplane doesn't have them. Yeah. Um, but that's essentially you know, with a with a fiberglass body to keep keep the wind off the the, the people. Not a monocoque construction construction. The the fiberglass is just clothes hanging on a very tough frame. Yeah. And the engine actually pokes out the front over the. It's it's put up high uh, on above you. You imagine the tube running from the tail to the front above your head you know where you're hanging in a pod underneath the, this tube mm -hmm. we bolt the engine onto the front of that so the engine is not in front of you um, it's it's above your head you yeah. know, uh, but that just releases a huge frontal windscreen that can give you um, very very good visibility it's uh, certainly 180 degrees to, with it, I would say sort of to 45 degrees to the ground. It's almost helicopter-like, isn't it? A helicopter in sort of bubble shape, and so a lot mm -hmm. of people think of it as a as a helicopter, and, and some people have called it a poor man's helicopter. Um, flies about the same speed, um, uses a lot less fuel, and is considerably cheaper to buy. <laughs> <laughs> um, what engines do they put on them nowadays? Uh, nowadays we're we're uh, into the uh, Jabiru. 2.2 litre four-stroke engine which is a nice smooth engine uh, gives us the power we need not not overly powerful but certainly not underpowered uh, and allows us to fly around at 12 litres an hour um, on a fuel consumption of unleaded fuel which is which is becoming a big 
issue these days mm -hmm. with uh, with the leaded av aviation fuels going yeah. going uh, so so uh, so madly up in price. So so for twelve liters an hour, you're getting a lot of aeroplane and a lot of fun to to be able to fly on on reasonable cost. Yeah. Okay. What other services do you offer to to owners in in, in addition to just selling new aircraft? What do you offer here? Here here at Wickenby, uh, we you know somebody can walk through the door and say I would like uh, a, a thruster. We would be able to to sell them the machine, train them. You know the schools bolted onto the side of thrusters, so we could train them in a thruster. Uh, and all the after service and, uh, and support is is there to, for spares and repairs. Uh, people do ding aeroplanes from time mm -hmm. to time, uh, taxi into things and brake under carriages. Uh, and so all you know, the, the the spares and repair facility is there. We can just send the the parts out for them to do, which yep. is the one of the benefits of the microlight world or the permit to fly rather than a C of A. You know, a lot of the work can be done by the owner, uh, just just inspected by someone who knows what they're doing, an inspector. Uh, other than that, you know, we can keep them flying, and 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 you know, there's 300 or or so microlights out there at the moment with a thruster name. Is there an issue with people using non-original parts? There have been. We we even down at Thruster have a, a, a chamber of horrors where rather than spend on an original part, they they think their mate down the road can can knock up that bit of uh, bit of metal. Mm -hmm. And we've taken things off like an engine frame, and it's been Reynolds uh, rather than a piece of chrome molly. The we because we was it, it, in fact when we looked at it it looked very good it was a wonderful piece of engineering yeah. for for somebody to have made without the jigs you know we were quite impressed from that side yes. the only thing they had to have done is they hadn't used the correct material uh, it was approximately three times less strong than the the the, uh, the chrome molly engine mounting that yeah. we would have we would have uh, supplied to them. Unless he was a very, very good mate, that the time and effort he would have had to put in, because he would have probably had to make, you know, the, the jigs. I'm sure that uh, the, the price, you know, of a new one would have been far simpler and certainly quicker to, yes. to just to get him put on. Yeah. But on that particular one, there was there was an issue that if if he started to pull more than two or three G, then it could have easily let go, yeah. and then he would have been in a world of uh, trouble. Yes, you, know, you, you you lose the engine off the front of an airplane. That does put the weight and balance uh, just a little bit, a little bit out. <laughs> uh, two questions in one. Then the, the challenges of operating a, a flying school and uh, an aircraft manufacturing setup in in these days. Um, the the school seems to be motoring on quite well. A uh, you know, little bit surprising in this uh, in this sort of uh, period of of, of twenty percent. Uh, VAT and, and, and fuel going mad, but the, the students are still there. Uh, it's uh, it's maybe it's because it's a little bit older uh, environment. You know, kids have grown up, mortgages under control, time to spend some money on mm -hmm. yourself again. Uh, certainly, the, the the peak age for learning to fly is around about forty to forty five. So it, it's not the youngsters and it's not the uh, the older guys. Um, but we have a, a, a smattering of each, obviously, at each end. But the majority is is mortgage and children gone and out the way. Mm -hmm. So, so although we're in this uh, 
period of, of, of tightening belts, with the with in, um, interest rates being so low, then there is actually a little bit more spare money around in yeah. a lot of households. Yeah. If you're in a job and you have a, a reasonable income and you, you think your job is reasonably yes. safe, you, you can then start spending a little bit on yourself. Yep. Uh, so, so at the moment we're not seeing a huge dip. If anything, we've seen a very, very slight rise, certainly, certainly continuing on as we have done over the previous years. Yep. Uh, sales of new aeroplanes is down. Uh, but but we find that's uh, the same throughout uh, the manufacturing industry of of, of, of certainly the ultralights in the UK. Um, we're we're very lucky at Thruster, at Thruster to be able to to have the owners of the airfield and the buildings uh, owning the company, which uh, takes a bit of pressure off, mm -hmm. uh, and other projects uh, that are, are linked but not attached to, to Thruster allows uh, allows the company and the workforce to. To continue on and, and keep busy okay. and keep uh, generating some income. Are you finding people trading down from you know, being trading on Cessnas down to Microlites? Not really. We're, we're lucky that uh, the school is both GA and Microlites, uh, where there is no no politics between what type of aeroplane you fly. And I would say we we see just as many Microlites liking the idea of going to the MPPL and SEP where they can hire the occasional Cessna and have a go, as as those that are, are coming down the other way. If, if anything, I would say there's more microlites upgrading. I don't like that word because yeah. they're, they're just <laughs> aeroplanes. Yes. Uh, but changing to the to the heavier aeroplane uh, than, than people actually uh, coming coming into the microlite world because of the you know, easing in costs. Uh, it does happen. We've got two or three that uh, are just not going to bother to renew the... Uh, the, the SEP side of their licenses, which is single engine piston, uh, and, and just keep the microlite portion of their license alive. Yeah. Uh, two or three of those, but two or three, if not four or five, that are adding the MPPL mm -hmm. to, to their microlite licenses. Okay. And I guess if you can keep your head above water in today's economic uh, state, your, your future is reasonably it's, assured. Uh, you know, it's, it's not one of those. Uh, jobs you go into to retire to an island by any means at all it's it's a it's a, a lifestyle choice you know, if it can uh, if it can put a roof over your head and a few beers in your stomach mm -hmm. then, then then you know you've won the lottery anyway if if you can wake up in the morning and look forward to going to work it doesn't matter whether you make a quid or not yeah. uh, as long as you make enough to stay yeah and, and that's that's where we are we've got uh, uh, three of us full-time here um, young Mark Yates, who's just uh, been instructing a year now, started off uh, as the Saturday boy downstairs, you know, making coffees, and and then joined the school, uh, shuffling paperwork, and got his license out of that. Went off uh, down to Portugal, got an instructor rating, and has uh, has never looked back. And uh, Steve Trafford, the CFI on the GA side, um, has been part of Wickenby and the, the flying scene here for donkey's years. And, and looks after all of that and enjoys that. So it's it, you know, it's providing a living to three people, uh, and 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 keeps keeps Wickenby buzzing and alive and mm -hmm. keeps the new blood coming in. So it's it's a beneficial all round. You're lucky to have such a, a great airfield here, aren't you? Exactly. The, yes. The next yeah. bomber. World War, World War Two. Two squadrons of Lancasters flew out of here. Yeah. We've uh, um, given a, uh, an area of the tower over to to the museum. It's important to 
to remember what what uh, those lads did and and up until uh, sort of late last year we had a chap called um, uh, Ken Drakes he used to fly with another member from Wickenby Phil Ortoft they used to fly together every weekend both the Saturday and the Sunday and Ken used to fly Lancasters out of this airfield yeah um, passed away towards the end of last year uh, which was uh, sort of at a ripe old age mm -hmm. he was flying with a safety pilot by the end of course but it was that's a you know that was a really nice link you know we had somebody here in the Lancaster days and still flying a little one set one five two up until um, you know he passed on it was it was fairly quick for him and uh, you know there was no trauma involved really and it was just a, a nice way to to finish it great stuff uh, just going back a little bit in time how did you get into flying yourself uh, I was in the Air Force you know, from age 18, uh, only as an engineer. In fact, I spent most of my time trying to shoot down <laughs> airplanes. So I was working on missile, missile squadrons and looking after the radars for them. Uh, but always would go straight through, straight so Monday morning, look through, uh, what we used to call it, SROs, station routine orders, and find what courses were, were around. You know, I, I sort of believed in... Give them what they want, but get as much out of them as you can. So yeah. you know, you try and find sailing courses and mountaineering courses. And there was a, a hang gliding course, and I just got involved in hang gliding. And I think that I'd, that was the one for me. You, yeah. know, you know, scuba diving was good, but it didn't just uh, you know attract me like the fly did. Yeah. And they 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 allowed us to to, to fly at competitions and, and just got well involved with uh, with flying hang gliders. Uh, to the point where I got posted to Berlin, which is not a not, not an environment where you can do much uh, you can do much uh, hang gliding, especially when the wall was uh, well and truly up. <laughs> yeah. um, and uh, you know the same as any flying, you know, some, you'd pack up your hang glider, stick it on a trailer, drive three hours through the through the border, saluting the Russian officer, trying to get him to swap cap badges for fags and that sort of thing. Uh, and then go and sit on a hill all weekend and not fly. So, so I probably fell out of the flying until I finished my Air Force career. Ended up in Wiltshire working for a semiconductor uh, industry, uh, and just went along to to Solar Wings, who had built the glider I had. And so, where's the where's the next microlight schools or the nearest microlight schools to here? And that's uh, exactly what they told me. They told me there was there's a Tony Hughes and a Graham Slater. I did ask which one they thought was the best and uh, and politically correct they said we can't tell you that mm -hmm. um, you know they're, they're both schools they're both uh, they're there you know, you, you decide yeah. and I literally flipped a coin and and it landed on Graham Slater at GS Aviation at Marlborough so I went along and saw him and told him what I did where I'd come from and he said well do you fancy a go I went yes please so we went up on a trial lesson and we was in a Pegasus XL Made by now P and M. That's a flex oh, wing. It's a flex wing, yeah. uh, two stroke. A long time ago, um, not they, they they will support them still, but they don't make them obviously these days. And we got to about uh, four hundred feet, and there was a big clatter and a bang, and you could hardly focus on the fields below because of vibration. And uh, Graham leant over my shoulder and switched the engine, what was left of the engine and propeller, off. Uh, and was apologising as we were gliding <laughs> to the ground, saying, "We're really sorry about this." Uh, we landed in a field and we 
pulled it, pulled the aeroplane back to the airfield and we found that a, a big chunk of exhaust had gone through the propeller and, and been cricket batted through the wing and that was, was causing a bit of a buzz and and he, and he, he said he goes um, you know, sorry about that you know, doesn't happen very often honest and, and if you uh, uh, we'll either see you or we won't see you and uh, it was just like oh if that's what an engine failure is like in, uh, yeah. in one of these small airplanes nothing to worry about there's nothing to worry about and you know my students are always always asking about engine failures what's it like when's and when am i going to get mine like we can tell them mm -hmm. um but it was i think it was very good to have an engine failure on my very first microlife flight and it was like oh yeah well, no big issue no, <laughs> sort of yeah. didn't worry me from there uh and just learned to fly the microlites eventually changed from uh, or added the fixed wing um was only flying when I had a mission to fly or somebody to fly. That's what I was getting a buzz at that point from seeing somebody else get a buzz. Mm -hmm. And that's when uh, Graham later turned around and said, it's time to go off and get your instructor rating and I'll pay you to fly. It sounded quite a nice, uh, nice idea. And did that for five years and got to the point where I really just thought, I can do this. Um, and just needed somewhere to find. Um, redundancies at Plessy led us into the position where I could mix both what I was doing at uh, Thruster and uh, Gordon's and and, uh, and, and go and, and jump in with both feet and and do it uh, and I'd found on a, on a holiday flight actually uh, dropped into to Lincolnshire went to see both parents and brothers and, uh, and families and the school owners at the time at Wickenby just mentioned that they'd been looking for a micro operation to start alongside their their GA operation uh, no no brain really sort of you know I was looking for that you know, that option it was home so came along came up here with two airplanes and and started slowly from that point uh, the rest you've virtually heard yeah um, and never really looked back but if you'd said 10 years ago you know as a as an engineer in a semiconductor you know, with a hobby, you know, where would you be? And it certainly wouldn't be part of a, a manufacturing company and running a, a flying school. It was it's just sort of that that uh, snowball has just dragged me along and wrapped me up in it. Brilliant. But uh, I wouldn't wouldn't change any of it for for anything. It's a cracking job. Perfect. Right. Well, thank you for sharing that with us. No worries. Malcolm Howland of Fly Three Six Five and Thruster Aircraft. Wickenby Airfield is uh, well worth a visit, even if you uh, don't want to fly. It's an ex-World War II Lancaster bomber base, approximately uh, 10 miles northeast of Lincoln. Uh, there's an excellent little cafe, a viewing patio, and a small museum in the original control tower. If you'd like more info on Thruster Microlites, the Flying School, or indeed Wickenby Airfield itself, visit the Flying Podcast website for the show notes and the all-important links. And that, I'm sure you know, is www.flyingpodcast.com. .co.uk. I was actually down in Lincolnshire at the invitation of uh, RAF Coningsby and I should have a, a series of interviews coming up with them uh, in the near future. So if you're interested in fast jets or the Battle of Britain Memorial flight, stay tuned as they say. Don't forget you can follow the podcast on Twitter or Facebook and please do send me an email. It's great to hear from listeners around the world. So keep sending them emails into me at steve at flyingpodcast.co.uk. Well, that's it for episode 41. I hope you're enjoying the podcasts. Uh, I look forward to speaking to you all again soon.